Let's pray again. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for your word, for your Holy Spirit, for the shed blood of Christ in this time we can gather around your word. And Lord, I just ask that it is your word that would minister to those here, including myself, that I would not get in the way of your message, that uh, your will would be done in our lives, that we might glorify you. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be looking at 2 Timothy chapter 3, but just before we uh, do that, I'd like to share that um, the Christmas program in the jail was uh, a roaring success. Uh, everything went off more smoothly than ever before, uh, partly because God has put it on the hearts of the Sheriff's Department to take over so much of the logistics. <laughs> They're, uh, they had, uh, we used their trucks to move the gifts around, pick the stuff up at Sam's Club and take it to Bethel and from Bethel to the jails. And uh, the, two of the three trucks that were available were down uh, for repair. And so there was a question about whether they could do that or not. And the guy that manages all that kind of thing uh, rearranged their whole schedule so the truck would be available for the program. Uh, God blesses in a lot of different ways. And of course, the greatest way is hearing those inmates pray to receive Christ. Uh, your prayers and your, your financial help and all that you did, uh, you dear people, uh, reached the hearts of many, many incarcerated, and they came to Christ. Then uh, we do, uh, the thing that, we'll talk more about it tonight, the program, I, I'm not the ministry, but uh, the thing that is the, one of the greatest challenges, I think, is getting the fact across to individuals that Jesus Christ is a personal savior knowing that he is God, knowing that he was born of the Virgin Mary, knowing that he lived on this earth as a man and was God and man at the same time, knowing that he died on the cross, knowing and believing that he rose again from the dead even, um, doesn't cause a, uh, a, that turning. You don't become a Christian knowing those things. You become a Christian by receiving him as your personal Lord and Savior. Uh, that's a huge challenge. Much, many of the people that are brought up in what's commonly called liturgical uh, way, and uh, Hindus, uh, Hindus especially, uh, have a hard time grasping there is one God and that he's a personal Savior. So when you think about it, offer those prayers up for those that anybody that's witnessing, doesn't have to be inside the jail. People in the jail were the people that were out here before they got arrested. So when you uh, meet someone or you know of people that are involved in uh, sharing the gospel, if you are, something to pray about is that would resonate. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. I don't know what words we can use that convinces a person, but the Holy Spirit can convince. 1 Timothy 3, um, 
You know, sometimes ask inmates if they're deceived. Do you believe you're deceived, especially when they've demonstrated their deception? And almost always, they'll just give a firm no. You might uh, find the same thing is true when you talk with people. Do you feel you're deceived? No, or they might say, about what? And I say, about anything. Well, no, I think I know. Well, what is the key thing in a deception? Well, you'd believe it. If you knew you were deceived, you wouldn't be deceived, right? Uh, and so that, we point that out, and that can sometimes shake the foundation of their firmness, uh, which is <laughs> what we're trying to do. Um, Christians are often deceived. All of us to, probably are to one degree or another because if we believe anything that's not so, we're under deception. Uh, it may not be intended by somebody, but it could be a misunderstanding even. But it's an important thing for us to want to know the truth. No matter what the truth is, to want to know it. Uh, I recall a man on the prison of the cross in St. Petersburg who said he didn't believe the Bible, wasn't interested in studying it, didn't believe in God. And I said, well, if there was a God, if that was the truth, wouldn't you want to know it? And he thought about that and he said, yeah, I would want to know it if it was the truth. And that led, God used that to open the door. Ultimately, he received Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. Deceptions can be very powerful. Um, I don't know, there's enough of you in here to remember the Reagan years and the presidency. Uh, he had a, a lot to do with bringing down the Soviet Union. And one of the things, one of the key issues that brought them down was their fear of the uh, Strategic Defense Initiative. The press called it Star Wars. Because we, Reagan had said, we're going to set up a system where we can shoot down missiles before they ever get to us. And uh, people scoffed and said, we didn't have the computer skill, we didn't have you know, the laser skill, we, didn't, we weren't going to be able to do it. Well, a few years into that program, they launched a missile, the Air Force launched a missile from Vandenberg Air Force Base here in California, and it arced up over the Pacific, and the warhead detached. And then it blew up because a laser was fired from an island by the army out there in the sea somewhere, blew at the smithereens. That just absolutely terrified the Soviet Union's leadership. And they thought we can't, you know, if, they, if they're not gonna fear our nuclear strike force and we can't defend against them, it's over. They've won. And uh, that together with uh, other factors finally brought them down. But it was all a lie, it was all a trick. We didn't shoot that thing down with a laser. <laughs> we weren't able to do it. That came out in the news later. I mean, it wasn't then, it was the years later it came out that it was all a lie. Uh, intended to do, you know, to deceive the Soviet Union and to put them under such military and financial pressure that they'd fall apart. And it worked. We had the Russians here, we were driving down from one of the prisons. I thought every, you know, it was out in the news media. I thought everybody knew that. We passed a sign that pointed to Vandenberg. And I said, that's where they launched the missile, you know, and, and did it that whole lie about uh, shooting it down with a laser. There's dead silence in the van. And one of them finally said, what do you mean lie? <laughs> and so I explained it to him. 
and the, the, one of the wardens said, now we know you're a true friend. You hide nothing. <laughs> oh well. Deception can be very powerful. It can be devastating in our lives. If we believe things that aren't true, uh, it can ruin our lives. Like, for instance, I can't change. It's just the way I am. That's a lie. Jesus Christ is in the business of changing people. He says to, you know, that our minds can be changed. We can bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We can change from what we are to what we ought to be. Isn't that what salvation really is? Changing us from a sinner bound for hell to a person saved by God's grace and bound for heaven. But beyond that, our lives need to make a radical change from following the path that we've been on where we do whatever's right in our own eyes to following what Jesus Christ has told us through his word is how we ought to think and act and the motives we ought to have and all of that. Can it be hard to make those changes? It can be, even though that's God's word and the Holy Spirit that's providing the power and the ability and the knowledge to do that. We've got to fight a battle with King Aimei. And uh, he's pretty tough sometimes. But the battle's winnable by Almighty God. The antidote to deception is truth. Uh, even if it's rejected initially, the truth is the only thing that'll devastate or shut down the deception. In John 8:32, it's recorded that Jesus said, "And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free." In what's called Jesus' uh, high priestly prayer in John 17, he says, "Thy word is truth." In John 16, 13, it's recorded that Jesus said, When he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. Does that mean you personally can know the truth? That's what it means. That's written to us. Is it, you know, the child of God is commanded again by the Lord in John chapter 15, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Uh, and you can research that word nothing, it means nothing. We, it takes Christ in us to accomplish anything of value. The child of God can be set free from deception by the truth. You can be set free from deception by the truth. We're still working toward 2 Timothy 3 here. 2 Timothy 2, uh, verse 19, proclaims two great truths. It says, nevertheless... The solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ 
depart from iniquity. If you've received Christ as your personal Savior, the Lord knows you belong to him. And it's important for us to remember that because one of the deceptions, one of the lies of the enemies is to come along and say you don't even belong to him. He doesn't even care about you. Jesus Christ knows you. He knows you personally if you've personally given your life to him. And, of course, the other, other thing that it says there is that those of us that claim the name of Christ need to depart from iniquity. Now, that's something that takes the Holy Spirit. We need his help. Uh, chapter 2 ends with these words, And a servant of the Lord must not, that's any of us, of course, And the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Believers can be taken captive to do the will of the enemy by not knowing the truth. But if we want to know the truth, if we'll lay down on our face before the Lord and say, teach me the truth, no matter what it is, I want to know it. I'm willing to humble myself and repent, that is, turn away from my wrong thinking. Even if I stood up in front of people and pronounced my wrong thinking and confess that you know the truth and that you taught it to me and now I know that it's not what I believed before. It's what it is. Chapter 3 continues that thought, starting at chapter, verse 1. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful. Can I stop just a moment there? Anytime you, I used to see, you know, disobedient to parent, being a parent, I always thought of my kids. But of course, this was written to Timothy, who was an adult. And he was to carry this message to other adults. Um, disobedience to parents can extend into adulthood, or even when the parents maybe have gone home to be with the Lord. I'm not talking about anything other than godly influence from parents. You've got parents that weren't godly. Um, be obedient to your heavenly father. Back to that phrase. Then unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, 
so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs also was. Stop there. I don't know how many of you have, uh, I've read through that passage over and over and not too long ago, I finally got uh, irritated with myself because I kept wondering who Janice and Jambres? And so I looked, it doesn't say. They resisted Moses, we know that about them. Jewish or Hebrew tradition says they were the chief musicians of uh, magician, magicians of Pharaoh. Were they? Don't know. But we know this about them, what, what's said about them. They resisted the truth. They uh, contended with Moses. Before we go any further, it, there's a reference to gullible women. Now, lest the ladies here be offended, that's not an indictment against all women. It defines who these gullible women were. It said they were loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning, never coming to the knowledge of the truth. That doesn't define you. You're not one of them. So please don't be offended by that. But it's, uh, and certainly men can be gullible, that is, willing to believe something that isn't true. We're talking about deception again, aren't we? Um, this whole business, the, the issue with this whole thing, whether it's the women that are referred to there or Janice and Jambres, is they were, these, these two were uh, men of corrupt minds, it says, disapproved concerning the faith. Approval, disapproval are fairly soft words in language today. But they mean what they say, and they were translated correctly, and being disapproved concerning the faith is a serious indictment. You know, chapter 2, back in chapter 2 again, verse 15, it says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing or applying the word of truth. So, the approval, the disapproval has to do with whether we're handling God's word, his truth correctly in our own lives as well as what we may repeat about it. I've got to ask myself, I can ask you, who are you aligned with? The Lord God through his word, it's absolute authority and recognizing that we don't understand all of it so we got to go to it with a humble spirit asking God to teach us or aligned maybe with some Bible teacher, or aligned maybe with yourself? Uh, are you seeking to know and follow the Lord, or are you doing whatever's right in your own eyes? I had occasion just recently to speak with a young man who's uh, kind of dropped out of assembly life, and I asked him if he had decided to leave the assemblies. And he said, no, I'm just not really going anywhere right now. And I asked him, you know, why he was, I'd just been studying some of this, why are you resisting the truth? Why are you opposed to your God? I'm not opposed to God. I'm not resisting the truth. Well, you're not following what the scripture says. 
It says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together after manner of some, but much more so as you see the day, the final day approaching. Sounds to me like you're in opposition. Your life is demonstrating you don't care about what God's word says. And you may, with the devil's help maybe, convince yourself that you're not opposed to the truth, that you're not opposing the Lord, that you're not grieving the Holy Spirit, but you are. So I would encourage you to get right with him. And then you all come, get back together with the assembly, get back together with his people, get back into his word, start living for Christ again instead of yourself. Didn't have very much time, so I had to be a little blunt. But he's still speaking to me. I won't tell you what he's speaking to me, but no, I'm kidding. Uh, chapter 2, uh, we read that. The first part of chapter 3 that we just read uh, reads like, uh, like commentary on news reports from today. Whether it's the newspaper or you're watching the news online or reading it online or hearing the political debates, it's exactly what we hear. It's the way men behave. It's the way these politicians speak. Um, we often decide who we want to vote for. The, uh, found out that Jack Bourbonnet didn't vote. And I'm not telling you not to vote. Vote if you believe the Lord wants you to vote. But his son, one of his sons finally asked him, he shared this with everybody, uh, Dad, why don't you vote? <laughs> and he said, I vote every day on my knees. As the scripture plainly tells us to pray for our leaders. So we worry about who's going to be the next leader, but God lifts up one and puts down another, and uh, we're not going to find a holy man running for president, uh, Dr. Carson included. He may mean well, but you get into that area of life, and there are going to be compromises, uh, some worse than others, perhaps, but we don't look to men, do we? Are we looking to men for salvation? Are we looking to men to men to take care of the problems in our society? Do we really think our nation can become righteous? Jesus Christ is the one that's righteous. And it's individuals in our nation that have given their lives to him that'll make a difference in our in our nation for all that goes. But if you do believe that the end is near, uh, it's not going to get better, it's going to get worse. Uh, and in a way, that's a reason for rejoicing, because an end of sin is on the horizon. Once this finally is done, it's going to be great. Uh, We've got to examine where we put our trust. Is it one politician? Some of them might be better than others as far as decisions they make and direction they lead us, lead our nation. But we can't look to them for salvation. It's not found in any man apart from Jesus Christ. 
salvation not meaning eternal salvation, free from the penalty of sin, but it's from, you know, we're also saved from the power of sin. And that's what we're looking to these politicians often to do, is we don't like what's going on around us, and so we look to them to fix it. It's the wrong place to look. They can't fix sin in their own life, or even the power of sin in their own life in most cases, and they surely can't fix it in mine or yours. Who can fix that? The Holy Spirit in your own life. The closer and closer we get to walking with Jesus Christ, the less and less power sin has over us. Our battle is with our own flesh. Our battle's not with the other political party. It's so important for Christians to have their eyes open about who Christ is and what he means to us personally. The difference he can make in us personally. We proclaim Christ, or we ought to be proclaiming Christ, with our lives as well as our voices. Our words, habits, attitudes, actions must be submitted to the Lord and what he has revealed in his word or we're opposing the truth. We're opposing the Lord as surely as did Janus and Jambres. How would you like to be noted in the Bible for your opposition? Not a good thing. Not a good thing at all. We need to pay close attention to what the Lord is sharing with us here. The scripture says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I don't know how many years went by with me thinking, yeah, that's right, so I'm going to teach my kids that, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to teach that, and I'm going to, and it was all about others. But that's, it was a personal letter that was written here. He was talking to Timothy, his son in the faith, and I ought to take that first and apply it right here. First and foremost, maybe doesn't even apply to me teaching anybody else about it until it's had more headway here. If you knew that uh, you were going to be writing your last letter to your loved ones, what would you put in that letter? That, I believe, is what we're reading in 2 Timothy. It's the last letter we know of that the Apostle Paul wrote uh, before they executed him and you see what it's full of just pouring out his heart to Timothy for Timothy's benefit to walk with the Lord to fight the good fight with his flesh you know there's I was talking with a man just recently a good man godly man uh, studying God's word and getting a lot of good things out of it. Uh, and uh, we were talking about what happened in the garden. 
and how important it is for a man to listen to his wife. Because when God said, uh, it's not good for man to be alone, we'll make a helper for him. And the word helper in ancient Hebrew pictographs literally means revealer of the enemy. It's not good for man to be alone. We'll make a revealer of the enemy for him. A lot of men laugh at that and say, well, she didn't do such a good job thinking about the scene in the garden, not realizing the scripture says that while Eve was talking to the serpent, it says she took the fruit and ate it and gave to her husband who was with her. And there's nothing in the language to indicate with meant generally. So it ought to mean what it says is he was with her. Later, the Lord admonished him for listening to the voice of his wife, meaning he didn't interrupt and do something about it when he realized she was being deceived. It says by one man, sin entered the human race. Not by a couple, not by a woman, by one man. Where does sin begin? Jesus Christ taught that it begins in the heart. So there's Adam standing there listening to this conversation and he rebelled in his heart before she ever took that fruit. So the original sin is Adam's pride and rebellion against Almighty God. He let his wife commit the first sinful act and then partook himself. We were talking about those things and uh, he struggled with that idea of sin entering through Adam. Because <laughs> uh, he was pretty convinced it was her. <laughs> it was her fault. <laughs> it's not what the Bible says. Indeed, in Timothy, when t speaking to Timothy, he said uh, that the uh, woman was deceived. That the man was not deceived. He knew exactly what he was doing. And that says women's not supposed to you know, speak, hold authority in church and all that kind of thing. I don't believe that's anything because there's anything wrong with women or their, their thinking processes or anything like that. Because if you tell the women they have to be quiet, and they cannot take over the leadership and the teaching, who does that leave? The men who would sit back and let the women do it, I think. So I don't think it's a knock on the women. I think it's a control factor to keep, cause men to accept their responsibility. And I think to think other ways might have some deception involved because of the pride that we tend to have thinking we're up here and a woman is somehow below us. Not the way God created us. Deception can enter into lots of things, including doctrine. It's not really doctrine, it's more tradition. We've got to be careful to separate the two. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote to Timothy, was sharing his heart. The Bible tells us out of the fullness of the heart, the mouth speaks. His heart was filled with love of the Lord love of his son in the faith, Timothy, his love for seeing 
men and women give their lives to Jesus Christ and then walk with him. See, so much of Paul's writings, the Holy Spirit through him was pleading with us to put away our old ways and turn to him and to walk with him and to always be looking for a higher, closer walk with him, not to become complacent, not to become, uh, let pride enter in and uh, we, to think we've arrived at some high plateau and we don't have to keep working on letting the Lord shine his light of truth into our innermost being to get us to repent of wrong thinking, wrong actions, wrong words, to be willing to walk with him in humility and righteousness that he supplies. I don't like that verse too much about out of the fullness of the heart the mouth speaks because it reveals uh, when I speak uh, I, I'm unintentionally transparent about the condition of my heart. It's not always so nice. It's not always what it ought to be. Ephesians 4, starting at verse 29, says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Um, it's pretty plain what he wants of us. The hard part is us cooperating with him because we don't want to. Uh, I deal with, and, and same thing again, I, it's hard I keep referring to inmates because I spend so much time with them, but the same thing can be true of people sitting right here. Things could have happened to you that were so devastating that it changed the direction of your life. Uh, horrible things might have happened to you, and nobody can tell because you show up here and you look all spiffy and smiley, and how are you? Fine. It's the most common lie Christians tell. Fine. Um, we don't know what's going on down in that heart. Now, often in the jail, we find out because they are so stressed and are under so much pressure, and they don't know me, so they think it's safe to go ahead and say what's going on. And uh, death and molestation and horrific things could have happened to people right here in this congregation. We never know what's in a heart, what's in a mind. I know there, the answer is still Jesus Christ. The pathway is still forgiveness, forgiveness of my sin, and then for me to get the benefit of that sense of peace, of being forgiven, is to forgive others, no matter what they've done. Doesn't, mean, doesn't make it all right saying I forgive you or even if you don't get to say it 
in your heart, forgiving this person from the heart, just the way the Lord says, doesn't make the wrong right. God doesn't tell us that. He's saying, you be set free by that. You be set free. If we don't forgive, we're chained to the offense and to the offender for as long as we refuse to forgive. You've got to show mercy. You've got to forgive. You say, but they don't deserve mercy. <laughs> if we deserve mercy, wouldn't be mercy, would it? Uh, let God take care of the accounts. We have to let God take care of the accounts. We can't do it ourselves. But he will. Can you want an offender saved? Can you want an offender repentant before the Lord? Sometimes you don't want him to have the benefit of that. And if we don't want him to have the benefit of that, we're not getting the benefit of that. We're still chained to the offender. We're still chained to the offense. And we're ignoring the truth. We're contending with the Lord, contending with the Holy Spirit, and not getting the blessings that God longs to pour out, the peace and contentment and settled mind that comes as a result of yielding to the Lord, letting him guide our way. Deception is devastating. Indeed, it can end our lives. But we don't have to be deceived. We can know the truth, and the truth will set us free. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to you. You are the truth. Your word is the truth. Our Savior is the truth. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And you've said he'll lead us into all truth. If We will first respond to that foundational truth that we're sinners headed for hell till we return to you, receive the gift of salvation, repent in your power and turn to follow you. Oh, Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your ways. Thank you for these wonderful things you've put in your word. A loving father talking to his children. Thank you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.